the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. Thanks to all of you that are joining us live at youtube.com slash cover3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Jump in the chat. Say hey. Participate. And while you're here, go ahead and smash that like button it helps grow the show it helps let more people know what we've got going on here at cover three uh where we're just going to keep this thing rolling all through this off season so very excited about what we've got coming up today because the, the transfer portal is always moving but we're in a little bit uh for the most part things are settled we do expect after spring practice for there to be one more round of shuffling before that May 2nd deadline if you want to be able to play this fall. But it is time for us to put together our preseason all-transfer team. 24-7 Sports is just an absolutely invaluable resource for all of your transfer portal information, the transfer portal rankings, uh, the way that you can track who's there, who's committed in the transfer classes as well. So, uh, before we jump into that, want to hit a couple of news items real quickly, and really, this this might be a little bit more of a discussion because you know we're all watching sports, and there, there's always the nice little ticker. And as we sit here in late March and early April, you you see a lot of contract news. Oh, Mike Gundy got a new contract extension with Oklahoma State. Uh, Pat Narduzzi signed a new contract with Pitt. And guys, I couldn't help but think, like, why now? Who is coming to call for these coaches? Like when you get a contract extension, then in December, I assume that that's because we've renegotiated based on interest from other places. And so, you know, maybe this is a matter of the calendar year. A lot of times when you do research and contact people behind the scenes, they'll say, oh, this has been in the works for a while. But I think I, I wanted to at least like bring to the table here, you know, do you put a lot of value in the way that a program like Pitt, a program like Oklahoma State, and others that may be following suit here in the coming weeks are going to be able to say, are they celebrating their head coach? But did they did they really need to give a contract extension to these guys? So I think it's an interesting question, right? I mean, there's a couple that, that, that to me could come out of this. Number one, who is hiring away Mike Gundy or Pat Narduzzi? I think it's a fair question, right? I mean, like, do you think those guys are, are seriously in demand? I feel like Mike Gundy has tried to get every job under the sun <clears throat> since the time I've been covering college football and is ultimately stuck with, with, with Oklahoma State. Narduzzi's an interesting one. I, I think he's a great fit at Pitt. Uh, unintentional rhyme there. But to me, it comes down to 
ADs are mainly trying to not get fired. And you just had guys make or win their conference title games, respectively, there. Are they the best possible coaches out there? No, but they're pretty good coaches. And for schools like Pitt and Oklahoma State, you feel like, hey, let's let's lock these guys up. If I lock up a coach who did really well, I'm not going to get fired. If I screw around and be like, eh, I actually think your market value is probably more like $5 million. We know there's not a lot of schools you can really go to. Gundy, you've already kind of played out the job jumping thing. Narduzzi may have some limited appeal. Like He really is not a fit at every program. If I play that game, which financially, like if I'm a steward of our finances for the athletic department, maybe that's the right game to play. Uh, then I might have an unhappy coach, which, you know, if you manage people, it's not great to have them unhappy. B, if it blows up in my face, even a little bit, if there's any kind of chance of that, I'm probably getting fired. So because it's going to come back on me, hey, you didn't you didn't get that coach renewed. You didn't get him extended. The agent's telling, telling the AD that, hey, man, you know, if you don't get this guy locked up, they're going to can you. And the agent might be right. So I, I think really the, age, the the AD here in both cases acts in a self-preservation you know, type manner. And I would probably do the same damn thing if I was at AD. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's that much to it. I think you kind of, like, it's a reward. They won their conferences. You know, it's Pitt got to a major bowl game, had a great season, might have the first quarterback taken in the draft. Oklahoma State won the Big 12. I, I think that it's just Almost. really... Well, almost, but I, I think it's just nothing more than that. Honestly, I, it's just rewards for good seasons. We've seen it all the time. The timing is a little weird, yes, but it's also possible the coaches or the ads were like, "Yeah, no, we'll get to it later. We've got some other stuff we want to finish." They might have been working on it ever since, and they just finally finalized everything now. But to Chip's question, why give them if it's not necessary? You know, like I mean, it's a reward. Is it just because you're supposed to? Like, hey, congrats, like. I don't know. I, I would, mean, as long as it's not your money, though, if you're the AD and you're not paying the players yet, you got to spend the money on something. If there's any risk that they leave and you get fired because you lost a guy that did well and, and boosters like, you do it. it it's, contracts already have incentives. So technically, there is right. a reward. So this is extra reward on top of the reward. But like, should the program deals, do it or should the AD do it are different questions, though. Yeah. But are, are these new deals like, did they get giant? pay raises has their buyout gone up a ton or is it just kind of yes. like an incremental increase the buyout has gone up especially in the pat narduzzi case because you're built out till 30 like you are you're under contract now through the end of the decade that is uh but do we becomes, know what the buyout numbers are oh in the way that they would drop i do yeah. not i'm not privy to those numbers right now that's what i'm saying for all uh, we know nothing's really changed pennsylvania has a really bad uh public records law so we could request it and we might get it like by by 2030 <laughs> I don't know. I maybe I'm warped because this bothered me with what played out at Jimbo Fisher in Florida State, like constant the constant flirtation, driving up the price. Um, you know, whether it was LSU, Texas, and then eventually actually leaving to Texas AM. And maybe it's easier sitting in this position than actually being the guy who would have your job tied to it and saying, Oh, well, if he leaves, man, I, I would be more likely to say to to just say, all right, well, congrats. Your bonus is there for what it's there for. We'll see what happens. Like football is so, college football specifically is so fickle. It's so up and down. I mean, there's the more likely chance is that one of these teams underwhelm and a couple years you're on the hot seat, and then those buyouts are going to be really expensive, and that might cost you your job the same way. So I, I think it's easier for us to sit in this position. I'll say that, like with a caveat. But you know what's just comical in all this is it was just – Two years ago, 
in the middle of a COVID pandemic, we're like, man, look at all, look, whoa, wow, how tough these financial stresses that we're putting on these programs. And now we're going to have to shut down programs and we're going to be in jeopardy. And just two years later, we're just giving out, you know, extensions because we can. Because it like, was BS. crazy. Mm-hmm. The, the, oh, these ma- the, yeah, the, the, it was fake. The, these major FBS programs, not not serious budget constraints. I, I, I think it's the, ex- I, I, it's the exact same thing as the baseball owners telling us how much how, how bad of an investment baseball teams are. Now, if you're a mid-level program that is really depending on the money from the NCAA tournament, and by mid-level, I mean like a, like a mid-major, you know, where getting that unit from the NCAA tournament, basketball tournament, maybe you don't play football, or maybe you don't play football at, you know, at a major conference, I'll buy it a little bit. But everybody getting those TV checks, I'm not buying that at all. I think that's total BS and, and, and narrative that they want us to spread as media. Okay. Now, this is the follow-up here. And I didn't want to make this a whole show or a whole segment because it just it sounds funny. And if, if this builds out, maybe we will. But Pat Narduzzi and Mike Gundy also seemed like they were two of the safest coaches around. Like, I wasn't sweating what their future was. And we talked about them leaving, but I also didn't think that they were the hot seat. Like, who... Who are reverse hot seat coaches that come to well, mind? Mike Gundy took a pay cut last year, didn't he? And so this is the Jim Harbaugh correction? I, I, maybe. Maybe that's I what it is. If you did. You know, I, it was funny because I'll give Dusty credit for this on the radio show. He had a prediction based off the trend that you're seeing. Harbaugh took the pay cut, big season. Gundy takes pay cut, big season. You know who took the pay cut this offseason? Scott Frost, Scott Nebraska. Frost. Oh, best three win team in history. Watch out for the Cornhuskers. Would you? I would. I, I never. I would. I would put up like a banner, <laughs> just for what? fun, like in the, in the in the in the practice facility, just like best three win team of all time, twenty twenty one. That's great. Love it. Uh, all right, you want to dive in? Let's go ahead and get get business rolling with our uh, pre season all transfer all america team we'll begin with the quarterbacks Ooh, there are a lot of quarterbacks to discuss again many thanks to 24 7 sports as a resource and specifically producer jordan uh, who is all over the transfer portal and the transfer scene both for 24 7 sports and also helping us with this show so we've got a couple names to to debate right here the the one that is going to be a a headliner for many is going to be caleb williams who made his move from oklahoma to usc linking up with lincoln riley quinn ewers goes from ohio state to texas jackson dart goes from usc to ole miss as lincoln riley and caleb williams show up at usc and dylan gabriel with Oklahoma now open and Caleb Williams gone, uh, he goes from UCF to Oklahoma after a what was it a quick pit stop at UCLA? Yeah, Were we there for a Spent some time. Didn't on go the to beach. class. Didn't go to class. That's important. <laughs> so that is the Lane uh, Kiffin Tennessee rule. Remember, <laughs> on our old uh, uh, on our All America team, we are only going to have one quarterback. No A eleven stuff around here. So we got Caleb Williams, Quinn Ewers, Jackson Dart, Dylan Gabriel. How, how do you want to attack this? Because we've got varying levels of experience. Obviously, uh, Dylan, I would say Dylan Gabriel with the biggest body of work. Uh, you know, Caleb Williams and Jackson Dart, uh, partial seasons. Williams a little bit more than Dart as Dart had some injury issues. And Quinn Ewers has not taken uh, a collegiate snap. Who's going to get our nod for the quarterback on the all-transfer team? So to be clear, we should need to set some guardrails. We're trying to put together the best team 
for this year, right? Like we're not program building and trying to like build towards 2025. So it's a preseason right? like, All-America team. Who, we yeah. are just projecting what's happening who has this the best year. season this year. Yes. Then I think it's it's noteworthy that that Ewers is so talented that he makes our nomination list. But to me, he's an easy cut because yes. the all all three guys who are not him are super talented and they're a little more proven on the college level. I think too, I, I totally agree with you. I I eliminated two based on experience and playing time. I eliminated not eliminated, but like Jackson Dart, I would not recommend because of the lack of experience. But I also think like there's like if you wanted to take a flyer on one of those guys for like a Heisman, if you got odds on them having a breakout like surprise upside season, then I think it's a different discussion. But as far as who do we think is going to have the best year this year, then I think it's a two-man race. And I think it's interesting because I don't know if it's as much of a slam dunk as some people might think between Caleb Williams and Dylan Gabriel. All right, let's give a little bit more time for uh, all the Oklahoma fans to join us so they can jump in on this Dylan Gabriel, Caleb Williams discussion. And the uh, South Carolina fans as well. They're probably going to be chat. mad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a couple names from the chat. We got uh, Jaden Daniels at LSU, Spencer no, Rattler. That, that's not a sleeper pick. That one, he's stay, stay sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Rattler thing I'll, I'll, I'll entertain as being a nominee. Yeah. Jaden Dane, would you take Jaden Daniels uh, for, for just a preseason this year selection? Would you rate Daniels ahead of Dart? No. Wow, that was a dramatic no. Okay. Am I, is I anybody else like over Dart? Yeah. I would consider it. I wouldn't I just would. outright dismiss it. Yeah. I wouldn't oh. dismiss it either. I think there's enough that you've seen kind of a floor. We don't know the floor of, of Jackson Dart yet. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm looking at these guys. I, I, I agree. Ewers is gone. I think that Spencer Rattler, man, I don't know that South Carolina hype video. I think Spencer Rattler is going to be good now. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think another day about here. If we're just going to go straight numbers, like guys who are going to put up stats, you have to include Cameron Ward, who transferred to Washington State, who came from Incarnate Word, who's going to be in an offense where he's going to be throwing fifty to sixty times per game, and you know, I, I think he's going to put up numbers. So at the end of the year, he may be somebody we look at. But I don't know, man. I got to go with Caleb Williams for this. I do too. That's n- narrowly edging out, and I think Caleb Williams is a better player than Dylan Gabriel is. I do love the fit of Dylan Gabriel reuniting with Jeff Levy, who, you know, he was obviously really good with at UCF. I think like Gabriel's skill set uh, is uniquely suited to play in that Levy offense. Uh, but talent wise, and look, if we're going to factor in the relationship, uh, Caleb Williams knows and likes Lincoln Riley pretty well. So uh, I'm going to go Caleb Williams narrowly o- over Dylan Gabriel. I want to make the case for Dylan Gabriel, bigger body of work, but I think you also have to look at you know, total surroundings. Oklahoma lost some guys too. They're breaking in some new players as well. Where I think Caleb Williams is going to have more talent around him. Um, so I think that's going to be a massive edge. Whose schedule, like as far as opponents, is it is it USC is going to have an easier schedule too? Oh, not by a lot. Yeah, uh, I actually, have lot, a, but I, I think Oklahoma bit, winning. So I like factored that in as well. Um, and is Oklahoma Oklahoma's still your your conference? Conference title favorite? I don't know. I yes. think they are. Yeah. I mean, as long as like as long as long as there isn't a concerted movement by the Big Twelve and the referees, <laughs> I think Oklahoma is your favorite. So Baylor, Oklahoma State, who played in the championship game, were just with quarterbacks returning, a lot of continuity. 
I think Baylor's quarterback returning is a negative. <laughs> it's fair. Like, like that, that, that's they're winning in spite of him. Man, Bud stays hating bad quarterbacks. <laughs> Just you can win college football games with bad quarterbacks. Jack plus Baylor went and got an average Big Twelve quarterback. I'm, I'm, I'm much cons- like I'm considering considering him a lot more. Yeah, I think Oklahoma had a quote unquote bad year. I still think they're the most talented and most likely to win that conference. Yeah, I could. I haven't made an official declaration yet. Do you have you well, game? I ask you to consider number? Tommy DeVito then, Chip. Former no, four-star prospect. I'm not talking about for this. I've, I've oh, done okay. all the preparation for this. I'm talking about picking the Big 12, like predicted order of finish yet. So, so like Okie State has a very – yeah, Okie State is a very, very easy non-con. So um, – Doesn't impact winning the Big 12. No. Right. I think within the Big 12, uh, the, the timing of this stuff matters as well. I mean, Oklahoma gets, gets – uh, Kansas State fairly early in the year. I think Kansas State, you know, may have a little bit of growing pains. They finish at Texas Tech, so that could be tough. Um, yeah, I, I'm still going to go Caleb Williams over, um, over Dylan Gabriel, but I think it's close. Yeah, I, I think another way to put it, like with Oklahoma and the Big Twelve, is like last year, the last few years, you'd probably say Oklahoma's winning that conference 75 percent of the time. Like if you just simulate it, I think that's closer to 60 this year. I'll take that. Um, and yeah, and I'm with I'm with, uh, I'm with Caleb Williams, high end Caleb Williams, so much fun, and uh, and I'll I will 100. percent I have obviously, as I've said many times before, I'm, I'm drunk on the hype train. So let's go. Also, it's fun to make Oklahoma fans mad. <laughs> <laughs> so mean. All right, Caleb Williams is our all transfer quarterback. All right, let's move on to the running back position. We are modern in our offense, and so we're going to have one running back selection, two wide receiver selections, and one running back wide receiver flex. So we got to start with our RB1. A couple suggestions that we've got right here. Jameer Gibbs, who left Georgia Tech and will be showing up at Alabama. Zach Evans, former five-star prospect, left TCU and will be joining Jackson Dart at Ole Miss. Travis Dye, uh, Oregon's best running back a year ago. He is also going to be showing up at USC as we see Ole Miss and USC showing up again in our debates. And then Montreal Johnson, who followed Billy Napier from Louisiana to Florida, former three-star with a 90 rating by the 24-7 Sports Transfer Committee. He had 12 rushing touchdowns last season, starting for the Raging Cajuns. I mean, I think Gibbs is the obvious choice. I think To me, it's no different yeah. than Caleb Williams. I think Jameer Gibbs is just already incredibly talented, and maybe a lot of the country, like fan-wise, isn't as familiar with it because he went to Georgia Tech. But he was a very highly rated recruit who was very productive while at Georgia Tech. And now you're putting him into the Alabama offense, surrounded, playing behind an Alabama offensive line with Bryce Young at quarterback and with those receivers. Like, defenses aren't going to be able to key on him like they could when they were facing Georgia Tech. So he's going to have a whole lot more freedom to be able to, you know, be a runner in that offense, to be a pass catcher in that offense. I think he's just going to put up absolutely monster numbers. So um, I do think it's notable that Florida took Montrell Johnson. Yes. Right? Like, I think that's always a good sign for a player if the coach moves up a level and wants to take somebody from his former school, that means he thinks like, Hey, this guy was a real stud. Cause there's, there's guys who had really good stats for ULL uh, who did not follow him to Florida. 
maybe he thought they were more like guys who you know were going to have good stats against that league, or maybe he thought Florida didn't have a weakness there. Uh, they also had Florida, like two dozen super seniors, so there's a lot of exhausted eligibility from that. That's uh, true as well. Too deep on both sides. And I think Travis Dye is a good player, but to me, this is a two-man race, really. Mm, Evans, I'll fight for Dye and Evans. Okay. And like, Travis I think Dye was not in the two-man race. No. To me, I, it's like the two most talented guys here are Evans and Gibbs. I'm going to vote Gibbs because Gibbs comes with less baggage than Evans does. Like I trust Gibbs to not do, not not criminal stuff, but like just dumb stuff off the field, you know, getting into fights with the coaching staff, like not fist fights, just arguments and whatnot. I trust Gibbs to be on the field. And the reports we've got out of Alabama so far are that Gibbs is making some really good athletes look stupid. Mm-hmm. So try, trying to cover him. So I'm going Gibbs. The only guy I think maybe would, would tempt me is Evans, but I can't trust him to stay on the field consistently. I'll, I'll, I'll fight for Die over Evans with trust being the main word. I mean, Die's like a Die's a workhorse. I mean, he is able to do so many things for you in the offense. He has played for Oregon for a long time. He's got a bigger body of work. He's got a ton of experience. I I really like that, especially over Evans, who has a higher ceiling, more better raw talent. But as you mentioned has been in and out of, and might be a Gary Patterson thing. You know, the rules might be a little different. High school too. High school too. I'm sensing a trend. I, I think that, uh, I think that tra- I, when we get into the flex position arguments, I will nominate Die over Evans, but I am not going to argue because like you, bud, I have heard uh, nothing but positive things about the way that Gibbs has looked uh, around his teammates, which of course are all national championship caliber down there in Tuscaloosa. Another running back name to consider, kind of a sleeper, Jalen Berger, who transferred from Wisconsin to Michigan State. Uh, he had in 2020 during the COVID season, he was he was a f- true freshman. He was pretty productive in that offense, but for whatever reason, last year he just kind of got you know he fell down the depth chart and didn't really see as much playing time. But we've seen you know Michigan State had some success with another transfer running back last year, and we obviously we know that they like to feature running backs in their offense. So I think Jalen Berger is somebody who can go to Michigan State and maybe find a much larger role and put up some pretty good numbers. Berger left the team in like mid-October. Mm-hmm. That was like that. I saw that as like an interpersonal relationship breakdown. Coach and player not seeing eye to eye. Of course, Braylon Allen then emerges. So yeah, that was part of it too. But like coaching staff at least feels like they had an option and someone to go to. But I'm with you. I, I had high expectations for Berger going into last season, and when it sort of fell apart with the with the staff, and he ended up leaving the program, I, I I've definitely got my eye on him for sure. Would not take over Gibbs though. No, I wanted to go Travis Die. That was my coming into this conversation pick, but I'll default to maybe the greatest coach we've seen and Nick Saban. Cause I, I feel like he has a choice of transfers that he could take, yeah. you know, and he's got options or he could tell him no. And he could go with a, a five-star signee that he could get in there. And then just thinking about it, like best year this season, you're in that system with that talent around you. I'll give the, uh, I'll give the edge to Gibbs. I think it probably is the safest pick out of these, but I think Travis die would be a close second for me. I came in here thinking him, but Turnover there, you wonder. I 
we've seen other running backs split reps. Is Gibbs going to be the the workhorse for Alabama? Is he going to get the majority? Is it going to be a slam dunk, you know, 1,000, 1,100-yard uh, carrier? I think that he's probably going to be the primary player in the backfield. I don't think he's going to be a three-down workhorse every single possession because they do have so much talent at the roster. But it's I, I don't think it's a coincidence because if you look at Alabama last year, like – Nothing against Brian Robinson, but it was the first time in a while where you just kind of felt like Alabama was somewhat ordinary at Mm -hmm. running back. Like they had a good guy, but they didn't have a great guy. And maybe Saban was sitting there thinking like, you know, they had injuries at the receiver position that kind of hurt them really badly at the end of the year. And Saban was probably like, man, I wish I had a Jameer Gibbs type of guy I could maybe turn to right now when my receivers are hurt because he's an excellent pass catcher too. So I do think he's not going to be – the primary part of that offense, Bryce Young is still going to be the primary part, but I think Gibbs is going to play a very large role, yes. You know, in the last two years, uh, Bama has been victimized uh, by shorter, you know, Marshall Falk type pass catchers out of the backfield in uh, in 20, whatever year, I guess it was 2019. Edwards Alaire got him a couple times in, in that game for LSU. And then last year, uh, Dalvin's little brother, James Cook, uh, you know, was also used as a threat, and he—I think he got him as well in uh, in the game in Tuscaloosa. So I wonder if Nick's not thinking, "I'd like one of those guys mm-hmm. that we, we we can all of a sudden split out wide, and then you got to make some decisions." And Bryce is is really good at making those quick decisions, finding the weakness. I think they'll be able to get Gibbs the ball either in wide open space or uh, they'll find the duck and and put Gibbs on that guy and and have some fun with it. Like split them all the way out wide. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden yeah, yeah. make, make some really difficult decisions. He's a really good player. <laughs> yeah, we, we had him we had him at, at, at the Army Bowl and uh it was it was one of the situations where you don't ask a kid about this because it's rude, but in your head you're like, Is he gonna go to Georgia Tech? Why? Like, really? Well, he, you know, he and Jeff talent wise, like, they bought in. Us up. They did. But like, yeah. That's what sent all of us to the Jeff Collins. Like, ah, here we go. He's changing things right now. Then Jeff Sims has not developed, and Jameer Gibbs is out the door. And if you wonder why the Georgia Tech stock meter is dropping, it's because all those things we were excited about have not played out uh, as expected. By the way, I love when uh, I don't think he's actually said this specifically, but I love when Nick lies to us about a player like Jameer Gibbs. Well, he clearly comes from a quality program. He's been playing against quality players, and you know it's good to have somebody like that for our young people here on this roster. <laughs> All right, wide receivers. Pumping up the ACC. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wide receivers. Well, we got Mario Williams, who also, like Caleb Williams, no relation, and Lincoln Riley, making the move from Oklahoma to USC, uh, Texas brings in a productive player from Wyoming. Wyoming has seen a lot of transfer action. Isaiah Neor, uh, Jermaine Burton, Georgia to Alabama. The Jamison Williams Express continues as Alabama goes out and finds immediately a new alpha at the wide receiver position. Uh, Burton, former four-star prospect, a 94 rating from the 24-7 Sports Transfer Committee, eight touchdowns in the last two seasons at Georgia. Jaden Hazelwood, his name pops up. As it has four years here on this podcast, ever since he was coming out of camps, Barton loved him. Bud, I guess you were in on big Hazelwood guy early on. We've we yeah, talked about he, every off season, and he really now, did a lot of the lonely work. Like he he <clears throat> he would bust it, like even when the cameras weren't on him. And I like that, especially at receiver. 
Jaden Hazelwood's going to be at Arkansas uh, coming from Oklahoma. And then Tavion Robinson, Virginia Tech to Kentucky, a former four-star prospect with an 88 rating by the transfer committee. So let's start with uh, with trying to find our, our one and two out of this group. Can I say something real quick? Just responding to what Bud just said. Because what he said I think is extremely valuable, especially when you're talking about receivers. Like, Do you know how many times – and this is like you get to know your personnel as a quarterback – whether it was at Florida State or in the NFL, and you've got, you know, everybody kind of knows where the ball is supposed to go. Like if you're in the main progression, mm-hmm. but as a quarterback, as you get older, and this happened my senior year, much more than my junior year, and, uh, you know, later in my career. And for me, it was a lot of times it was in practice because then you talk about guys who turn it off. But like as a quarterback, you start to see, all right, I might have a matchup on the backside here that's man press that I want to take a shot at the fade. And that's the route that's on the, in the playbook. But it's the offside. It's not where you're supposed to be reading things out. And you go to throw that route and you know like where the guy is supposed to be. And you can tell he's like, oh, crap, the ball's coming my way. And like he all of a sudden starts running. So you have to like get to this position where there were some guys you knew they were always going to count on. Like this guy is going to be there. I don't have to remind him. Other times, like it was so annoying because you'd always have to be like, hey, you never know. Like this could come your way. Don't load. Like don't take off this play. Keep giving it to me. And the worst part about it is sometimes those guys would think that means, okay, I'm getting the ball this time. And you go up to the line of scrimmage and it's not there. Like the guy's off or the coverage doesn't give it to you. So like those little things when you're looking at film and sometimes you can pick up on, man, those are valuable. Like, and you don't understand it sometimes if you're just watching from far or you're just seeing the guy that catches the ball all the time when half the time he's loafing when he's not in the play and you can get, you can catch them with their pants down sometime. You know, I look for it in recruiting camps is so typically you go uh stretch flexibility individual work which is you know cones and drills transitions you know footwork hand work for for linemen and then everybody knows you go one-on-ones and then you go seven on for for the skill guys a lot of these skill guys they conserve their energy uh and dog the hell out of it in the indie period and then they try to save it up for one-on-ones which Okay, like I, I understand the sentiment there, but Hazelwood was a guy who would go hard through all the indie drills and was like actually trying to work to get better as well. From my experience seeing him in camp, I mean, I can't comment on every camp I ever went to, but it just stuck out in my mind uh, that he was doing that. And I saw him play on a seven on team that he wasn't even a member of, and like losing bothered him. I was like, man, that's kind of like most of these guys, cool. I get a trip down to Miami, probably paid for by the sponsor or whatever of the seven on team. It's not even your seven on team, but like you're busting it and getting mad when you guys lose. A lot of kids wouldn't care. It's like, I'm, not even, I'm not even on this team. They just picked me up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so it just kind of stuck with me a little bit. That sounds like someone Sam Pittman is going to love to coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Football guys, competitors. All right. Who's our, who's our alpha? Who's our, who's our one and two that we want here from at the wide receiver position? For me, my number one is Jermaine Burton. I think Jermaine Burton is an incredibly talented player who was in an offense that didn't really utilize it all that well. And I think that going from Georgia to Alabama, we're going to see him kind of, his numbers are going to pop a little more than they have. So for me, that's going to be my number one. My number two, I like Hazelwood for a lot of the reasons you guys have said. I like Hazelwood a lot too, uh, but do you like quarterback? Yeah, of course we like, oh... Yes. If if Traylon Burks can put up big numbers, yeah. if Traylon Burks can put up all conference numbers, 
then Hazelwood can too. I like that offense Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and what that offense does for QBs, whether they're good or bad. Oftentimes we don't know that they're bad because, you know. um, They got creative with Traylon Burks. Like they moved him around, you know. I don't know. I, that would be a concern for mine. Not a, not a, like he definitely b- deserves to be on this list, but I would probably lean towards Burton or Williams. The Neor thing, Wyoming to Texas, just a lot of question marks for yeah. me. You know, with quarterback, Texas in general, you know, how is the Sark experiment going to work out year two? It's just, for me, it's not on the list. I am a little bit disappointed because there's a player on here who put this list together. Was this Jordan that put this list together? Yeah, or was it Jordan. Jordan? Like, how we can't have the transfer portal king who has already taken advantage of the portal a couple of times and is going to play for a quarterback in Hendon Hooker who had 31 touchdowns and three interceptions, one Brew McCoy. Mm. How he is not on this list <laughs> from Jordan is like how I have to really test his fandom for Tennessee if he doesn't propose that as one of the top transfer options. I'm just shocked that it's not on there. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed in him. I will, so I was going to maybe go Brew McCoy, but I'll stay away from that and go with one of those two. I actually want to vote for, for Isaiah. Like I, I, I think it's Burton and Isaiah. Just, and the main thing is we talk oh, about yes. – <laughs> The private chat's popping. Yeah. Um, so Wyoming's offense was pretty much hot trash in recent years, and he was super productive despite those offensive limitations. The main reason I, I want to vote for him is the feedback I got from college coaches I trust were like Tennessee just got an absolute steal when he had committed to Tennessee. And then the same feedback was, oh, my God, Stark, Stark stole this guy. Mm. Like, like he's a big-time player. So I I almost had him as my number one. Now maybe I'm missing on that. Maybe I'm over-trusting the, those, those guys that I was texting with. But like I – I'm gonna mix it up. I'm, I'm gonna go Burton and, and Isaiah, even though I do like like Hazelwood. Maybe I'll save Hazelwood for my my flex vote. Going back to QBs, Levi Williams, who also transferred to Wyoming, is somebody I consider a sleeper because going to Utah State is going to be in a similar kind of conference, probably. And I just thought he was a really good player. Blake does a good job of quarterbacks up there, Blake Anderson. Mm-hmm. Um, so does Chip need to cast a deciding vote here? Or I think it's two one, right? Well, Burton's Bur- in. Burton's unanimous. Yeah, Burton's unanimous. Um, yeah, I'm going to go Burton and Hazelwood here. I'm a, I'm a little bit light on Mario Williams. I need to, um, I need to sharp, sharpen that up in, in terms of, you know, feeling, feeling as confident as people around USC feel, feeling as confident as, uh, you know, everybody else seems to feel around here in terms of what he can be, especially with that, with the familiarity with the system, with the familiarity with the quarterback, it does feel as though he's going to explode. But there's even with the loss of the best wide receiver on the team, with the loss of Brew McCoy, like there's still dudes in that wide receiver room at USC. It's possible he could get sort of lost in the mix, depending on what Taj Washington does. I think Gary Bryant's going to be really, really good. Um, I, I think that there's just a lot of competition there. I think that cl- clearly Hazelwood at Arkansas has the potential to be the number one target and the number one wide receiver. So I'm going Burton and Hazelwood. Woohoo, I win. <laughs> but we can fight for uh Isaiah Neor and uh and the flex spot. I like it. This this next one's gonna be a battle though. What? Because we probably should include tight ends in our flex, right? Like maybe there's somebody who doesn't win tight end who maybe want to vote for for our flex spot. Oh okay. 
I, I'm not voting for Jaleel Billingsley. Same. Same. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's like it's when you say, you know, when we're doing the NFL draft stuff, like when there's a red flag and you just say, like, I'm not going to touch it. Yeah. Like, that's what it feels like for me. It's just a massive red flag. And I, I hope we're wrong. Like, I'd love to see a player, you know, go find a second chance. But, man, can't make it work there. Big opportunity and did not – I mean, literally dropped it. You had a big opportunity. It was right here. Bryce Young threw it to you, and you literally dropped it. Not just in that game, but clearly the way that Nick Saban talked about. But now, like, oh. the other side of it is – you know, Nick Saban's coaching style, the stress, the pressure that you're put under there. Sark is completely different, at least from my interactions with both of them. Like, he's more laid back. Like, he's California cool. Like, hey, let's come here. Maybe it maybe it excels there. But again, it kind of goes back a lot of question marks at Texas. Where and, and combine that with Nick Saban repeatedly calling him out, you know, benching him, trying to use every bit of motivation to get the most out of him. And then he's just like, peace out. I don't know. That's that's a do not do not touch for me. Yeah. Does the does the Sark culture there at Texas? And I'm not knocking it, but I think it's probably fair to assume it's not quite as strong as Saban's culture. Um, <laughs> oh. If you're betting on Billingsley, you're betting on Billingsley sort of maturing due to the fact that he needs a second chance, as opposed to Texas being able to get him to that spot. I think. Oh, like a self motivated. Like you are yes, betting correct. on Billingsley, and I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not betting on that. Like what I saw at those recruiting camps, the opposite of Hazelwood. Mm. Like, totally. Sorry for whacking the mic there. No, you, the, the mic deserved it. Yeah, like does he go chip on the shoulder? Uh, you know. By the way, there was another player that did that. That's dropping in the draft. I don't know if you guys saw Darion Kendrick's uh, draft profiles. He's been dropping somewhat. This player left. You know, he, hey, he won a championship and he was part of it with Georgia, but similar kind of deal where I probably wouldn't have taken him the year before. Oh, he was, always in, he was always in the doghouse with that constantly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm, Stogner tied in no debate. Uh, no, I'm taking Michael Trigg. Oh, Ooh. sick. All right. Well, I read, okay. USC uh, to Ole Miss. Yeah. Bill Connolly wrote today. He tweeted it is a really long story, really good story about analytics and football and Lane Kiffin's featured in it and, and interviewed and quoted in it. And one of the quotes from Lane Kiffin said, he's like, it's like analytics aren't just like, should you go for a two? It's like when you're looking at a transfer, like the way he attacks a transfer portal, do you want to get the excellent blocking tight end who could, you know, really set the edge for you and help you get a four yard gain? Or would you rather get the tight end that maybe can't block, but he can provide a 20 yard explosive play for your offense? I'm going to take Michael Trigg because I know exactly how Lane Kiffin plans to use him. <laughs> <laughs> and it, hey, today's game. Are you kidding me? If you would have said that 15 years ago, or if you, know, if you asked Jimbo Fisher about that, he probably has mm -hmm. a different take on that one. But I think it is smart. You'd sacrifice some in the pass blocking scheme in order to get the big play when he's out in a route. You can build routes around that to kind of minimize the impact a poor pass blocking tight end has. And with the rules, the way they're set up, man, I totally agree with him. Jack Nicholas wore one more glove than his grandson did playing football. Nick <laughs> <laughs> O'Leary. Trig is loved it. <laughs> uh, I remember I, seeing I, I'm going to go too. Lane, I, oh, Lane Kiffin, I think I've told you guys this story before. When he was at FAU, and I had read, I'd heard about the book 
that he's talking about that this consulting company puts out and Taylor makes them. He showed me the book. I mean, he goes by, he's got a guy that follows him around on the staff around or, or up in the, wherever it is. He's got a guy constantly with the notebook. It's thick. It's, you know, a three ring binder and it's got situational, uh, you know, everything. What are you supposed to do? It's like having a cheat card at the blackjack table. Tell me what to do. And where I agree with Jimbo is you don't have to do it every time, but I don't think Lane does. But I think a majority of the time he's going to go with what he's supposed to do. Um, so we're actually going to have the guys who make that book on the show this summer as a guest. Nice. So shout out Mike Bursick and Michael McRoberts. They, they they run Championship Analytics, and I'm pretty sure that's the book you're talking about because mm-hmm. almost all the teams out there use it. Uh, I see those guys every year at the convention. Really smart dudes, obviously. Um, I'm excited to talk to them also about like the challenges of taking that information and distilling it down to something. I don't want to say like the coaches can understand because that's not it. It's like the coaches can intuit and then also pass on to their players and the people who work underneath them. So I haven't read Bill's piece yet. I was G chatting with him about it a couple days ago. So I, I'm excited to, uh, uh, old Espedition days. We're, hey, we're, we're, still, we're still on the G chat, you know. Oh, sorry, I haven't um, seen the finished product. I was in the studio working yeah. on it with. The- <laughs> I'm excited about it. Um, yeah. I'm going to go Stogner though here for like to to bring this back to tight ends because I I think first of all he's much more proven and if he had not struggled with some injuries there at Oklahoma uh, I think that he would have even bigger numbers. But you know, 47 career catches in three years for seven and one. There's no doubt Trey is talented. I think this is a hard vote. Uh, but also, Stogner and Rattler are a pretty proven connection. Not that Dart and Trey are not, uh, but I'm, I'm going to go Stogner, I, I think. Uh, Stogner also then would have been there with Beamer because that's the Rattler-Beamer yes. connection, was being on yeah, the yeah. offensive staff there for that 2019 season. Um, Shout out to the College Ball Daily Pod who had Shane Beamer on yesterday with our Brandon Marcello of 24-7 Sports. He was talking about how they, uh, they're they running a lot of the same plays for Rattler that Oklahoma ran. Just changing the names. Well, but they're not going to call it Boomer anymore. Right. right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to call it cocky. That's yeah. it. Um, all right. So Stogner gets – is that it? Stogner gets the tight end? No, I think, uh, I think Trigg got voted for – who voted for Trigg? Tom, for sure. I voted for Trigg. I was up between those two. I'll go Stogner because I do trust Spencer Rattler more. Uh, a little bit, you know, can they, how did they build on the momentum from last year? Gamecock fans should be excited. They're very excited. But, you know, I'm not a huge Spencer Rattler fan, but I think he's a clear, a massive upgrade from the GA with his clipboard and then all of a sudden with his helmet. I think, like, Zeb. It, yes, it's got to be better than that. Um, all right, what about, before we go to break, uh, what about Trigg against Mario Williams against Travis Dye? Mm. Zach Evans. I would go Travis Dye. I'm and still Zach a Evans, Travis yeah. Dye fan. I would go Zach Evans. So this is kind of an upside spot, right? I feel like we got pretty good players. I, I'm going to bet on the upside here and go... Man, Zach Evans is really talented. Like Willis McGahee type talented, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go Zach. I'm gonna join Tom. I'm gonna go Zach Evans. Let, yeah. Let's let's roll the dice here and bet okay. on the talent. That's right. Cool. We got. We feel like we've got a good enough 
culture in our locker room that we could fit Zach in. <laughs> on there. our all transfer team. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, here's what we got so far Caleb Williams at quarterback. We've got Jameer Gibbs and Zach Evans at running back. We've got Jermaine Burton and Jaden Hazelwood at wide receiver. And we've got Austin Stogner at tight end. More of our preseason all transfer team next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Turning our attention to the trenches uh, as we look where the games are won. We've got this split up into tackles and interior offensive line. Uh, so we'll start on the offensive side of the ball. Um, who Nominations for tackles. We got uh, a couple in here. Mason Brooks, Raekwon McNeil, Tyler Steen, Kingsley, Sumatea? Suamatea? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, or uh, BYU uh, for Suamatea. Um, currently uncommitted Tyler Steen coming out of Vanderbilt. He's got offers from Alabama, Kentucky, Tennessee, and more. Mason Brooks. Hey, hey, Ole Miss, you're back uh, from Western Kentucky to Ole Miss. And then Raekwon O'Neal from Rutgers to UCLA. I mean, I've never seen Mason Brooks or at least paid close enough attention to him to really have an opinion, especially because in that Western Kentucky offense last year, he didn't really have to block for very long because the ball was snapped and it was very quickly out of there. I, I really liked Raekwon O'Neal at Rutgers from what I saw of him. He was an honorable mention all Big Ten. So I think maybe taking that step up to a higher program in UCLA on the West Coast might be good for his future. And I did like Kingsley Suamatea. I mean, it, as a recruit, he didn't play last year, but he was a highly rated recruit. So if I'm looking at these guys just based on talent and then based on what I've seen, those are the two spots I'm going. No I'm going to agree on Kingsley. And or sorry, go ahead, Danny. No, go ahead. I'm gonna go agree on Kingsley. Like upside wise, I think he's the highest here. Like the guy's really athletically pretty special for a tackle. Um and then I'm I want Tyler Steen. Like I What's wrong with him? Just maybe no, not a good fit. Yeah, exactly. Right. I, and, I, and maybe he's yeah. tapped out. He's realized, hey, like I've done all I can do at this program. Let me see if I can go enjoy some fruits of my labor somewhere else. Uh, with Kingsley, I, I I would have had him off the board because we haven't same thing we talked about with the quarterbacks. You know, like haven't seen him play yet. He might have all the talent in the world. Um, so, any love for O'Neal here from Rutgers going to UCLA? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I like him. He's on. He's on. I, he's one of my two choices. I, I he was honorable mention in the conference last year, and it's like that Rutgers offensive line 
was not great overall. Like, there's not a ton of talent on there, but he, I felt like he was one of the better players on it. Yes, I'd say you got to be kind of tough too to play. For I mean, being an like offensive it. lineman in the mm-hmm. SEC, offensive lineman in the Big Ten. I mean, my big dumb brain is very happy to look at your 23 starts and your 33 starts at high level competition and be like, um, I don't know, I'm going to take Steen and O'Neill. Yep. I would have O'Neill last by a good bit, but I, Ooh, I just really, yeah, I, I know some schools that are pretty needy for tackles who who were not impressed. Mm. Like I think Mason Brooks was somebody that like, you know, schools I consider good schools. They 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 wanted wanted him. Are you in on Steen? Yes. All right, Steen's yes. are one that we've got full support on, so that means we just need to decide the other one. I'll trust I'll trust Bud and go with Brooks. Put him on there, Steen and Brooks. Well, I think Kingsley's the most talented. See, I don't, I don't, I don't want but to he's, touch that. I don't know. He didn't didn't really play last year. Transferred. I think he's more of a, a multi, like a down the line, down the line building. thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um. All right. So, Steen and Brooks. Oh, I like that. All over this. Or we can we can flip a coin if we want. I mean, I I. We're two different people. Like two. different people have way different opinions on O'Neill. I liked him. We got. I'll go with Steen. That's fine. Because I, I mean, that's I can't vote for Mason Brooks when I never really paid attention to him. You know what I mean? So at least I've seen Steen play. So we've got Steen is one. We still need to decide the other one. Our nominees are oh, Brooks. Kingsley. Kingsley. Oh, okay, Kingsley. Yeah, I think so. I, I he's yeah. I mean, he didn't play last year at Oregon, but he's he's young. Like a lot of young players, don't get to play right away at the offensive line. It's not really a position where a lot of guys just step right in and are ready to go. He was definitely a guy who liked the recruiting process, you know. Um, I, but I think he'll like focus in probably better at BYU and uh, and and get on it. Um, we we're running behind, but can, what does likes the recruiting process mean? Like sometimes you can, the it, you got to keep the main thing the main thing, right? And the Instagram, and the TikTok, and the dancing and all this stuff is fine, but you still got to focus on the football. I think that's a massive problem, by the way, too. I think way too many players start to fall in love with the attention, with the likes, with the. I mean, recruiting is great; it's a ton of fun. I mean, you got to get de recruited once you get on campus. Because you're like, oh, I got to get coached and coached hard, and that's the rough dynamic. That's why I think we see a lot of players transfer after one year. They're I would like, say there's less de recruiting now, though, Danny, because they previously, can't. like in the Urban Meyer time, Urban Meyer could just lie to all these kids nonstop, and then they didn't really have any recourse when they got on campus. Like he's the one that was interviewed about de recruiting and used the term. Right nowadays, you, you can't, can't just tell fantastic lies to these kids nonstop, and then like on campus, surprise, <laughs> you know, because they'll just transfer immediately. Uh, all right, let's go to interior offensive line. Let's let's go. Let's start with uh, just nominations. Osiris Torrance. Like I, I'll go ahead and throw throw his name up there as uh, as probably my first vote. Like where I would put my like first place vote. He was at Louisiana uh, with Billy Napier. He's making this move. Louisiana had a tremendous offensive line. It was a huge part of everything that yeah. they did. They looked like a power conference offensive line. They played like a power conference offensive line. And in the Sun Belt, it was a difference maker. Uh, Torrance was uh, Torrance was a stud for a long time. Uh, I like his potential to be very, very effective and a key piece of what the Gators do. Yeah, I agree. Really? Uh, oh, so we get two of these or one? Two. We get two. 
Okay, because I would uh, nominate Alawa Timmy. Uh, yes, that's like, my other nomination. He's my no doubter. Going mm-hmm. to play at Michigan, where you know you're going to be able to grind it out in the ground and excel. I guess this would be my two. And also, There's a couple guys a who transferred out of UVA. Yeah, and I feel like I had a very good line onto which ones actually were good and which ones the staff had to work around. And Victor was the guy that they were like, "Yeah, he's really good." The other guys, I'm not so sure about. I feel like uh, this is easy, honestly. It's all with Tammy and Torrance. Okay. <laughs> Don't you think, uh, like, Napier's coached in the SEC. I think he would not waste a scholarship on a guy who doesn't believe can play in the SEC. Mm-hmm. I agree. Especially along lines. And that line, I mean, I know it was a sunbelt, but like you were saying, Chip, that line just mauled people. Yes, without a doubt. Yeah. They've got at least one guy who will be going in the NFL draft this year. All right, so do we need one more interior offensive lineman then? Nah. Wait, I think two is got good. a four-man offensive right. line? I'll play center. It's fine. <laughs> well, hold up. We, we we could just nominate kind of a, a swing alignment if we want. Because we have do we want to go one of the tackles or one of the guards? Oh, yeah. You could go back to we – we had a tougher time with the tackles. Oh, and then we would be able to bring in uh, – Tom likes O'Neal. What if guards can move over? Um, I liked McCade Matower at Cal. Very limited in what I saw of him. But – I mean, he was, he's a, he's reliable. He's not great. He's not going to be making any all-conference teams or doing anything like that, but he, he knows his job, and he does it. I can get on board with that, but Trayvon Shorts is pretty good, too, the LSU guy. See, I'd never seen Tremont, so I, I couldn't tell you. He was an FCS All-American. Um, this is tough. There's a lot of – there's a lot of – oh, Jordan in chat says twice uh, FCS All-American. Oh, excuse us. I'll add short. I'll throw throw some weight behind shorts. Let's get the FCS guy up there. Short. Yeah. I was trying to give Oklahoma somebody. We, we we should probably do two episodes on this, don't you we think? We should. He's gone too far. Let's split this into two episodes. We did forty five yeah. minutes on, on so just offense. On offense. Plus, yeah. I had yeah. Danny's Danny's got to jump. So so we'll, yeah. so we'll do the defense tomorrow, eleven a.m. Sure. And then push mailbag. Yeah, I think so. Oh, it, it, we'll round it out. We'll do so. We'll add a couple mailbag questions. We'll finish up defense and we'll take care of business. Maybe this I, is show planning on the fly. My favorite thing about our show is that we could do something like a transfer draft and then take an hour just to get through the offense. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, like, this is, you couldn't do this on TV, right? The first take producers <laughs> would be in your ear. HQ would be having a fit. Um, but, Behind the curtain yesterday, we're like, what should we do for tomorrow's show? We usually plan out about a month ahead, and we just had an open spot here, figuring some news would pop up, and like, no real news has. And I was like, I think it's Chip's I, idea. I don't think anybody else can match our depth of knowledge and our understanding to be able to give you an all transfer all America team and actually discuss it and let you know all of the nominees. We're not just like spitting out two and then being able to hit print and get out of here. We are taking you behind the curtain. We are letting you know who barely made the cut, who fought for who, and we've got this all on record so that we can fight about it when our player that we stood up for balled out or when the one that we stood up for ends up being a total flop. We've got it on record so that we can own it. So I like it. So we'll be back on Thursday. We will do the defense 
for our preseason all transfer team. Also, we will tackle a couple mailbag questions. As Bud mentioned, you know, the the best way to add a question to the big old bag of mail is to leave us a five-star review. And then in that review, put your question. We will hit a couple mailbag questions tomorrow and then continue to roll with weekly mailbag editions throughout the offseason. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.